Welcome to today's edition of the Blazing Grace Show with Jason Graves and Mike Janung. Blazing Grace covers blazing issues with grace-filled answers. Here are your hosts, Jason and Mike. And welcome back to the Blazing Grace Show. This is Jason Graves along with a very well, very healthy Mike Janung. Hello, Mike. I'm not well. I'm in sackcloth and ashes today. <laughs> I took Sean to see the Lakers on Monday oh. to the Nuggets, and they yeah. got they lost. And I'm just uh, it's just it's over. You're well in your body, but you're not well in your soul. Right. Basically, <laughs> all right. I'm sorry to hear. Well, listen. I'm glad that you're done with your bronchitis or your whatever itis that you had, and it's good to have you back. And we've got another new face around here. We we want to introduce our special guest today. Uh, Julie Dozier, who is a counselor uh, working at Wings of Grace here in Colorado Springs with our good friend Mike Bird, and uh, she is specializing in in uh, spouses of sexual addiction, you know, spouses of uh, men who are dealing with sexual addiction, but she's also helping women with sexual addiction issues as well as uh, men. So, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you, and boy, we, we've got... A testimony to hear from from you. Obviously, as we've been getting to know you, you've got a story to tell, and I think our listeners are going to be really helped by hearing that. And then we'll um, next uh, next week go into sort of your ministry. But tell us a little bit about your journey. What got you into this work of counseling? This crazy, crazy work of counseling that we're doing here. Well, I think it was just that there were there were a lot of things that happened in my life. <laughs> it's it's kind of like anybody that walks in my door. Hey, mm-hmm. I, I've been there, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just basically a story redeemed, mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of what we got got me in there. And I, I guess as far as my testimony, maybe mm-hmm. I need to warn the audience that it could be R rated <laughs> today. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I think you'll find that uh, our listeners have. Pretty much heard it all at this point, Julie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, why don't you share that with us okay. and let these folks know where you're coming from? Okay, I guess, uh, Jason, what I'd like to share first is um, just some um, background of how that I got into that position of being a spouse of a sex addict, and um, I I grew up in a, a preacher's home, pastor's home, and. Um, some people called me a PK, but I always said I was a GTO, not not a preacher's kid, but a great theologian's offspring. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Showed a little pride there. Right. Uh, but, you know, although I felt like my dad uh, tried to live what he preached, and, and I respected that as, you know, as much as he understood that, um, both my parents, like most parents, brought their own woundedness into mm-hmm. that family. And sin touches all families in one way or another, and ours was no different. Mm-hmm. So it had its consequences or its level of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And um, many times the spouse of a sex addict comes from a family of origin that's similar um, as far as unspoken rules, such as, you know, don't feel, stop crying, I'll tell you, I'll give you something to cry about. Right. Or, um, you know, the term mind rape, I don't know if you're familiar with that, no. but... Uh, that you shouldn't think like that. Why would you want to be an uh, astronaut? Right. Uh, those kinds of things are, are you shouldn't feel like that. You should feel like I feel. Hmm. And so many times, even if things look very different and the uh, sex addicts uh, family and the person that ends up marrying that sex addict, the same kinds of rules apply. And so that makes 
the sex addict look or feel familiar right. or right, right to the spouse when, when they start uh, meeting and dating. Um, so, so maybe the familiarity there right. masquerades a little bit as attraction, huh? Definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. As feeling that you're okay and you're from a normal family, mm. <laughs> you meet them, oh, well, they're normal because they're like my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, with my blinders on, all I saw was, hey, he's from the same even denomination. He was mm-hmm. raised in church, mm-hmm. and um, both parents are together. And even though, you know, they're not a perfect marriage, they've stayed, they've stuck it out mm-hmm. you know, all these mm-hmm. years, just like mine had. And so I kind of felt like, in a way, that was my insurance plan is, okay, this is going to work. Um, but I came in to that marriage with my own uh, issues of shame, too. And I, I think at some level I felt, uh, maybe subconsciously, that I didn't deserve to be happy. And one thing that spouses do is they ignore their God-given discernment. And I did see red flags along the way. And I had doubts about his ability to be faithful. What, but, what were some of those red flags? What what caused um, that? Well, it was just like the wandering eye, um, mm. the flirting, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Right. Um, flirting in front of you or? In front of me, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, um, I mean, there were uh, lots of things that I just kind of squelched that discernment. Um, and and I went ahead and, and got into it mainly because somewhere in my mind, <laughs> it wasn't a, a conscious level at all, but somewhere in my mind, I think I thought I was enough to control him because he had a very smooth talk in convincing me that um, basically, you know, I was everything, everyone, those kinds of things. And so... I fell for that, and um, I fell for the whole fallacy of control, <laughs> mm. the, the illusion of control. You thought you were controlling him? Well, I thought that I was in control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I never would have thought or said, now, I'm controlling him, right. but I was trying to control my own life. That you've got everything under control. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Okay. And, I mean, my control within the marriage looked more like I'm going to be such a perfect wife that he is... He'll never need to look anywhere else. Of course, my idea of perfection <laughs> was codependency. You know, I just mm-hmm. didn't. I, I didn't have a healthy idea of what perfect a perfect wife was. Wow. You know, I, I did all the ultra domestic tasks and worked out with the best trainers and and uh, even and tried tried to even be the sex kid in the bedroom and everything. Mm-hmm. But you know, his sexual addiction was already in full swing before we met. Mm-hmm. And um, and it really wasn't about sex anyway. It was about the fear of intimacy. Mm. And so everything that I did for him, basically losing myself uh, to do that, um, my heart was not pure in that. Um, I was acting out of my own selfish desires. I mean, it, it wasn't a healthy, I want to please you because I love you. But And I didn't know this at the time. More, It was more of a motive. I want to conquer you mm-hmm. in such a way that you will love me the way I always wanted to be loved. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I reeked of codependency. Right. And you know, we both came into the marriage with our cups almost empty, mm-hmm. uh, expecting each other to just make up for the needs that hadn't been met. Um, when you say you wanted to conquer him, did you mean emotionally in some way? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And what, was, what did his leadership in your marriage look like? 
um, there was no spiritual leadership. Mm -hmm. That's what you mean. Right. And so what does that conquering emotionally look like? What uh, would that feel like to maybe somebody who's listening right now thinking, wow, do I do that? Yeah. Um, It was that whatever I thought or sensed or that he had said, he thought was great in a woman, (laughs) Mm. I became that person. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Basically losing myself. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, you know, when we got married, when we both realized that um, this marriage was not going to make us whole, it wasn't going to fill all the needs that we hadn't hadn't met before then, uh, we both went into our own addictions uh, to medicate the pain of that realization. And he with his sexual addiction outside the marriage, and I became addicted to the addict. Mm-hmm. I was just as guilty of idolatry as he was. My addiction was no better than his. He became my God, and I gave up everything for him. I, be- I gave up motherhood, a good position, teaching college, other positions, activities, uh, social life, friends, everything to succumb to this one statement that he said, I'm your full-time job. Hmm. <laughs> and and I, I just wasn't healthy enough to see that there's something wrong with that picture, something wrong with that statement. You know, I, I just thought, well, if that's what he wants, I'll just be submissive. <laughs> you know, and, and God does call us to co- submission, but that was not the healthy picture of submission mm-hmm. that he was talking about. So at some point, not long after we married, um, I just began to pray for depth and and a peace just deep within my soul. Um, you know, I I was tired of uh, focusing on what others thought of me instead of just man, what do I think of me? <laughs> and I started just craving and praying for. To be able to get to the day where I could look in the mirror and say, hey, that is a woman of integrity looking Mm -hmm. back at me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I didn't understand it at the time, but I I was just growing weary of the burden of shame. And Mm -hmm. that's that's what was behind it. And I just wanted it lifted so badly. I I wanted to be free of the facade. Mm -hmm. And so um, one week uh, I ran into three different people that happened to be in three different towns. And they told me about this particular Bible study. And, um, and so I thought, Hmm, it's interesting that three different people would be saying that. And then, um, on church, the, at church the next Sunday, the preacher announced, Hey, we're doing this Bible study. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that is probably something God's leading me to. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I signed up and, um, Wow, that was life transforming, and what and was I, it called? Uh, experiencing God. Oh okay. yeah, Henry Blackaby. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. So basically, you made the decision that I don't want to live in this shame anymore. Right. And I'd like to hear more about what were some of the shame messages you were hearing. But then I'm assuming you know you started to talk to the Lord about this and give it to Him, and then bam, you took one step towards Him, and He took all those mm-hmm. steps towards you. Mm-hmm. So what were some of those shame messages? that you were hearing that some folks might be able to, to relate with? Well, I guess um, the, the biggest one was if, 
if people really knew who I was, mm. no one could ever love mm. me. No mm-hmm. one could really ever love me. Right. Wow. And so that that hung over my head. Yeah. And that kept me from intimacy. That kept me from being authentic. Mm-hmm. And that kept the the facade on for right. for years and years. Yeah, it's just so loaded with condemnation. Mm-hmm. Was that a product of that mind rape you were talking about? It that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was part of it, and I can't say that that was all of it, because I, I have to own my own sin in this. Mm-hmm. And it was a result of my own sin, is just feeling like as I sinned, um, that I, I just I felt worse and worse and worse about myself. And I felt like I had to keep it a secret, because if people knew, they wouldn't love me. And, and so um, it, it was mostly as a consequence of, of my own sin and not being able to release that. You know, at the cross. So, how did what was it in experiencing God that kind of broke that loose? Um, it, I think, for the first time in my life, I was able to look at my own stuff, you know, my own baggage, my own issues, instead of, you know, kind of looking outward and saying, oh, it must be them or them or, or, you know, blaming, but I, I was able to look at my own stuff. And when I was able to do that, um, I, I became more usable for Christ. Mm. And, you know, I, I began just on this rampage of making amends, and I called everybody right. that I knew in my entire life, and, and I asked for forgiveness. Wow. Well, that's powerful. I mean, you said you became more usable. I mean, we all want to be as Christians, used by the Lord. That's part of the abundant life, but Mm. you can't give what you don't have, right? Right. So you cannot expect to step into a ministry position or Mm -hmm. position of leadership or any kind of really uh, ministry one-on-one to another individual if you're not willing to do your own work. Exactly. We all have got to do it. There's a one-to-one ratio, and if you don't be honest with yourself about that, you're really missing the boat. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I can sit here and look at you, Julie, and the person you're describing to me, I don't, I have no clue who that is because of the person that I know you to be. Mm. So that transformation, even though I didn't know you back in your Houston right. days, I mean, it's very evident. Yeah. So. Thank you. Yeah. And that is, that is because of Christ. Amen. As I'm listening to you talk, <clears throat> we see issues where we get emails from women who, They've got this volcanic rage that they can't let go. And what it seems to me is that, you know, what you're sharing is about taking a look at that. Their heart is that really they're looking for their husband to shape up his life and that once he once he gets quote-unquote fixed, which isn't going to happen because right. he's a broken man, he's just going to come to the point of surrendering to Jesus. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that lady who's stuck in that volcanic rage and pain? Well, first of all, I I say I don't want to rebuke at, if they're at the initial stage because what they need more than anything is compassion. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got to show them compassion. They mm-hmm. need that first and foremost. And once they're shown that compassion, once they're given the permission to grieve their losses, and I mean, because it's it's huge. It's It's the dreams of their life are lost, you mm-hmm. know. When they find this out, once they're given permission at that point, then they can start to look at their own issues. Right. That's the spiritual walk that God takes them through. There's but, been some 
very discompassionate responses to the problem of being a co-addict or a mm. wife of an addict. Mm. And I'm just wondering, you know, we've had everything from, uh, remember that one lady? Uh, Marsha Means. Well, yeah, her and then the other gal, uh, Tony, or who said basically, hey, uh, I told the pastor. And what he said to me was, uh, well, you just kind of need to get over it. Or, you know, yeah. it's uh, you just need to give him more sex. I'm just wondering, did you experience any of those discompassionate types of responses from people as you were reaching out? And what was what was that like for you? Mm. Actually, yes. Uh, and unfortunately, mine was um, on my search for a counselor. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, uh, I looked uh, for different ones. I, I Because I came across a counselor that was a Christian counselor and um, used the Bible from here, you know, in different places. I thought, okay, finally I found someone. But uh, it was more without compassion, even with that, even with using the Bible, using it in different uh, ways, and just not having a compassion. And and basically, he reinforced my idea of um, feeling like um, I could control it by saying, you know what? You're the spiritually. You need to take. You know, you need to take the responsibility because of his spiritual life depends on you. And those kinds of statements mm. that really just just fueled my codependency. You know, and that's the last thing I needed. But I also did not get compassion. And without that compassion, what happened is um, just over a, a period of um, a couple of weeks. And we were seeing him like four hours a day for five days a week kind of thing. Mm. And um, I just became more and more hopeless. And that's what happens. Mm. I mean, it is so important for pastors and friends and family and everyone Mm -hmm. to get that. Because when there's someone who has lost a husband to Mm -hmm. death, Mm -hmm. you get that. You would not go in there and rebuke them. You wouldn't do that. Mm. And so the spouse of a sex addict has to have the same kind of of mercy that you would show to a widow. Right. Absolutely. There has been an actual death. It's been a right. death of a dream. Mm-hmm. The person's still there, but they're going through a grieving process, and there's a lot of sensitivity that needs to be paid to that. Now, if you're just joining us, we're tuning in with Julie Dozier here on the Blazing Grace Show. She's at Wings of Grace Counseling here in Colorado Springs. And if you are a spouse of a, a sex addict needing some help and support, or if you are a, a female sex addict dealing with your own addiction issues, uh, or even if you're a, a male dealing with uh, sexual addiction and maybe you've got some issues with your mother that would be helped by working with specifically a female counselor, you can give Julie a call at 719 266 6636. And uh, I know that Julie would love to help you. But Julie, uh, I know, Mike, you've got a, a question on the tip of your tongue, but really quick and kind of following up with that, where are you today as a person? I know in the next show we're going to talk about your ministry and what you're doing with wives. But, you know, as a person that's been through all of this, where are you today? Well, um, I think today it's kind of a realization of of a rima or a verse that God gave me when I was going through this whole trial, and that is Ephesians 3.20, that he is able to do far more abundantly mm. than anything that I could ever think or even think to ask. Amen. And that's where I am today because, I mean, it is truly just a story redeemed. Right. 
and such a blessing. It was it was painful for what I went through and yeah. and um but, but you chose it and you chose I mean you didn't choose what your husband did. Right. But you chose to look at it, to mm-hmm. deal with it, to own your own stuff, which right. is huge. And I really admire you for that. And I just want to say on behalf of all of the sex addicts out there, uh, on behalf of even your husband as much as that's possible, uh, that we, you know, I hope that you can forgive us because we basically are representatives of that pattern being, you know, sex addicts in recovery ourselves and mistakes we've made, uh, may not have hurt you directly, but they have indirectly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just want to ask for your forgiveness sort of Mm -hmm. symbolically on behalf of whatever was left that your husband may not have done or whatever place in your heart that still needs that healing, Julie, because mm. I feel like we owe that to you. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Jason. Okay. I really okay. do. And again, you know, right back at you <laughs> in my own recovery, you know, <laughs> as, as spouses of sex yeah. addicts that have tried to control, have tried to fix, yeah. have tried to do anything outside of releasing that whole thing to wow. God. Because that's huge wow. because it does. It, I know that the spouse did not cause that, can't mm-hmm. cure it, right. can't control it. But I also know that um, when a spouse is not in recovery and doing their own healing work with the Lord, that that just it, it can fuel right. your, your whole recovery. Yeah, it is a relationship. There's a dyad mm-hmm. there. And so, you know, even though we can't uh, blame each other for our actions, we exactly. can... Talk about those things to understand the impact mm-hmm. and so that it doesn't have to begin. So I received that. Uh, I know that there's women out there that would say, oh, you can't blame us just by stuff that you've just said. Right. But again, that's not our hearts. So, yes. Mike? So where did that marriage end up? Well, um, it did end up in divorce. And you know, I'd, I'd like to say something about that because, mm-hmm. and, and I'd like to kind of just give a background on that is that, just kind of going back to something that I think Beth Moore said is that the source of our distrust is usually at the place of our greatest wounding. Mm. The source of our distrust is usually at the place of our greatest wounding. And my woundedness was about rejection. Wow. And so I was really careful not to ever marry anybody I thought could hurt me or mm-hmm. reject me uh, or even go out with anybody that I thought was would do that. And so yet... Our marriage digressed to a point where my husband experienced sexual anorexia. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know what sexual anorexia is, I talk about it as intimacy aversion. Mm -hmm. So just like a food anorexic needs food for nourishment and they deprive themselves of that, a person who is thought of as a sexual anorexic or somebody who is aversive to intimacy is sabotaging the intimacy in their relationship with withdrawing behaviors, withholding uh, blaming, shaming, controlling, all those t- sorts of sabotaging uh, behaviors. So go on. Right. Julie. Right. It's just as the eating disorder referred to as anorexia nervosa. It, that's about control, reasserting their power against others. And so is sexual anorexia. And and both types of anorexics, they starve their selves in the, in the presence of plenty. Right. I mean, if you can picture the anorexic patient that's setting before this this feast of delicious food, everything that's made to her liking, and yet she sits with just bones poking out of her skin mm. at less than 85% her normal weight, um, then picture the sexual anorexic who stays up late masturbating to porn mm-hmm. when her, his wife 
is in bed, longing to have emotionally and and physically uh, to have intimacy with him, night after night. And both pictures are pictures of irrationality. Mm -hmm. Both have the same distortions of thought and and agonizing struggle for control. We're going to talk about some of those distortions of thought and those myths that not only keep us in the problem, but can exacerbate the problem and make it work worse. But Julie, thanks for being with us. I uh, appreciate your story. Uh, come back next week, everyone, when we will be with Julie again to learn more about her ministry with spouses of addicts and female sex addicts and male sex addicts at Wings of Grace. Again, if you need to get in t- contact with her, you can call her directly at 719-266-6636. Hey, have you heard about our retreat? I got to get a plug in there for the retreat. We're coming down to the wire uh, May 18th through the 20th. Exciting news. My wife, Susan, is going to be speaking at the retreat. She's going to be talking about self-care, so our relationship with ourselves. So if you want more information, go to healingforthesoul.org. Click on the services tab, and it's on on the retreats page. So uh, tune in next week when we have Julie back. Julie, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of The Blazing Grace Show. We trust today's broadcast helps bring you closer to God and to what God desires for your life. Blazing Grace is a listener-supported mission intended to help listeners around the world. Your support is vital in keeping that mission alive. We ask you to prayerfully consider sending a tax-deductible gift to Blazing Grace. It would be gratefully appreciated. You can send your monetary gift to Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 625. Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80962-2521. That's Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 62521, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80962-2521. Want to learn more about Blazing Grace? Find us on the internet at www.blazinggrace.org. That's www.blazinggrace.org forward slash radio HTM. On that page, you'll find a downloadable copy of this show, or you can visit oneplace.com under Ministries. Look for Blazing Grace Radio. If you want help resolving a sexual addiction, you can reach Jason Graves toll-free by dialing 877-590-SOUL. That's 877-590-7685. In addition to Jason Graves Counseling, Mike Chenung has a book out. Mike Chenung's book, The Road to Grace, Finding True Freedom from the Bondage of Sexual Addiction is available at www.roadtograce.com. The book guides those who struggle with sexual addiction to a place of finding the abundant life of Christ. There are also sections for wives and recovery for marriage. Desire for a specific subject to be covered on Blazing Grace? Tell Mike Janung what you want covered. You can email Mike at Mike, the symbol at blazinggrace.org. We look forward to sharing more blazing issues and grace-filled answers next time. Thanks once again for listening, and may God shine His grace upon you.